Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. When Lavelle Law was first founded uh, a number of years ago, and, and still very much to this day, one of the central services provided by the attorneys there uh, is uh, support of tax law, tax law issues. And whenever we talk about uh, taxation uh, and the type of issues that can impact taxpayers, we often turn our attention to the dealings of the IRS, and that's where we find ourselves today. Hi again, everybody. This is uh, Jim Mitchell. And uh, for the conversation this afternoon, I will be joined by attorney Joshua Nesser as we talk about one of the primary tools in the IRS arsenal, the audit. A tax audit is something that uh, I think creates a a great deal of trepidation among the general public when they hear it mentioned. And uh, Joshua is going to give us a little better picture of what an audit is and the best way to deal with one, or I don't potentially even perhaps avoid one. We've got a lot to learn, so let's get to it. Josh, thanks for taking the time to visit today. Thanks so much, Jim. So uh, when we talk about audits, are, are they conducted on both, and if so, are they similar for both individuals and corporate taxpayers? Yeah, both. basically any kind of taxpayer is subject to an audit, and when it really comes down to it, as we can talk about, an audit is really just making sure that what you reported on your return is correct. So yeah, whether you're an individual or a business, the IRS is going to be looking at whether the income you reported was accurate and whether the expenses you reported, you actually spent those amounts. So more or less, it's the same concept. And what's what's the purpose behind the IRS doing this? You mentioned just you know sort of making sure that what you report is accurate. I mean, is it really just that? Is it sort of a, a rule that people are kind of staying in line? Uh, some of it is random, and some of it is triggered by certain triggers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those triggers, I mean, occasionally taxpayers will just misreport something. And a lot of times if, if the IRS is getting something from a third party and that doesn't match up to what you show on your return, that can trigger kind of a simple audit where they're just saying, hey, we, we got a W-2 that said you made this amount of money. You reported less than that. Uh, explain to us the difference. And if you can't explain the difference, maybe it was just a mistake. The IRS changes your return and um, you're going to have to pay tax on the difference. Um, other times, the trigger might be that, especially if you're self-employed, the IRS has its own kind of standard saying, businesses in this industry should earn about this much money and their expenses should be about X percentage of that money. And when they see a return that doesn't fall in line with that, that could trigger an audit. Um, if income and expenses change drastically from year to year, the IRS might want to take a closer look and say, what happened here? Prove to us that there actually was this big a change and, and you're just not kind of fudging the numbers. And then some audits just really are random. It's just kind of bad luck. So it's tough to to say whether you're going to be audited or not, but certainly there's things that if you do them, they make you more likely to be audited. Should every taxpayer expect, you know, at some point to get audited? I mean, is this kind of like jury duty that sooner or later your number is going to come up? Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it, like jury duty. But, I mean, I'm guessing for the most part taxpayers generally probably won't experience an audit. It's not Mm. a common thing, even though it's something you always hear about with the IRS. Right now, the IRS doesn't have the funding 
to do a lot of audits. They've really cut back on their staff and their collection staff. And in one place you see that changing is in the audits. Um, there's just not as many audits going around because there's not as many people out there to perform the audits. So that's not going to, that's not to say you're not going to get audited, but in all likelihood, unless something is very out of whack on your return or you're not making a, a glaring misreporting on your return, an audit's probably not going to come, but there's no way to say that for sure. So you want to be doing the right things to make sure if there is an audit, you're prepared for it. Sure. Now, if if an audit is going to be conducted for any of the reasons you've mentioned so far, uh, does the IRS provide the taxpayer with some sort of notice that it's about to happen or is happening? Yeah, so there's generally kind of two types of audits, and the first kind is the one I talked about where you're reporting something to the IRS that doesn't match up with what the IRS got from a third party. That's kind of the simple kind of audit. And what you're going to see there is the IRS is probably just going to send you a letter that says, hey, you reported this on your return. Somebody else told us this is the correct number. Either show us why that third party was wrong, or we're going to change your return and you're going to pay tax on the difference. And you'll just, again, you'll just get a letter on that. It's not really going to ask you about much anything else that's going on, and you respond to that, work it out, get your tax paid, and that's it. Uh, the other case, which is kind of more involved when it's not going on with some service center out in another city, is when you get assigned to a local examiner and they actually conduct somewhat of a face-to-face -face audit. And still in that case, you're going to get a letter from that local officer saying uh, your, your account's been or a specific return actually has been selected for audit. Let's set up a meeting. We can meet this date. Here's the documentation I want to review, and then we'll go over it at that point. Um, so either way, the audit is going to be started with a letter. The first contact is not going to be a phone call. So if, if it's a good note to let people know, if, if you get a phone call saying um, we're auditing your return, meet me in such and such date and bring this documentation, if that's the first you're hearing about it, that's kind of a good sign that something – Something might be up. It may be one of these scams you hear about all the time, impersonating the IRS. So that's something to look into. Um, but usually, the actually always the first contact is going to be by mail. And I want to I want to talk about the you know that sort of face to face more comprehensive action in just a minute. But you did mention something about uh, the notification saying that you know a particular re return is is being looked at. Now, would an audit normally? Uh, focus on the most recent tax year, or might the IRS go back one or more years and audit a previous year? Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be the most recent year, especially because with the, the speed that things move through the IRS, which is not very fast, they might not catch one of these triggers we talked about until a couple of years after you file the return. So mm -hmm. they might go back that couple of years to the first return that set off a red flag, and they're going to look at that return first. But it is worth noting that the IRS can only go back a certain number of years. So once you file a return, the IRS generally has three years to audit that return and to make changes to it to increase the tax that you owe. Um, and if you file a return early, that, that three-year window doesn't start until the filing deadline. So if you filed your 2014 return on April 15, 2015, the IRS has until April 15, 2018 um, to make any changes to that. Now, that's the general rule. If the IRS can show that you understated your income by 25% on that return, that three-year window increases to six years. And even further, if the IRS can show that you completed that return fraudulently, meaning you went out of your way to lie on that return, there is no statute of limitations, and the IRS pretty much can go back as far as it wants. Um, a good takeaway from that is if you don't file a return, 
There's no limitation on the IRS going back and, and saying, here's what we're going to hold you responsible for tax-wise. So it's always good to file your return on time, get it filed, start that clock running. So once a few years go by, you kind of know at least this return is not going to get looked at anymore. I don't got to worry about it. Well, I think you and your colleagues have always stressed, you know, not only filing, regardless of whether or not you can pay, file the return, um, but also, you know, obviously playing by the rules. Uh, I think it's really interesting to note, though, that because of that delay you mentioned, you know, if someone is perhaps taking some liberties with their return and after a year they don't hear anything, they think, well, I'm getting away with it, I might as well continue it, they they don't know that that first time through may not have even been looked at yet. So that's a, that's a great warning right there not to, you know, not to play games and think you're getting away with something. Um, all right, so let's right. do this, Josh. I want to talk as much as we can here and, and try and get some more information. And, and we're talking to Joshua Nesser from Lavelle Law Limited, um, getting a, a primer here on, on tax audits uh, with the IRS and some of the things you, you might encounter. You talked about the more comprehensive audit where a, a letter indicates that a face-to-face meeting is being requested. And I think many of us have that visualization of someone you know, walking in with all their receipts and piles of paper and going through item by item. Is, is that what really takes place, or what, what's, a, what's a more detailed audit going to look and feel like to a taxpayer? Yeah, so we'll start off, like I said, with that letter, and that'll, that'll give you the name of the examination officer that's been assigned to your case. Um, and they'll basically say, we need to meet, and here's the documents that I want you to bring. And like we talked about before, they're going to be looking for you to prove that the level of income you reported was accurate, so things like bank statements and everything that goes into supporting your income. And then they're going to want to see that the deductions you took, especially business deductions, one, you actually spent them, and two, they were actually for purposes of your business. So, for instance, you're not deducting personal trips as as a business expense, that kind of thing. So you'll meet with that person at whatever date works out for both of you, and some of it will be going over the documentation. A lot of that the IRS is going to kind of do on their own rather than doing it while you sit there and watch them. But they'll probably talk to you about the, the audit process, how long it's going to take, what other documents they might be asking for from you. And then they kind of work their way through the documents. Maybe they'll ask for more. And eventually they're going to get to the point where they think they have a handle on what your actual income was and what your actual expenses were. And if if that's not what you reported, then they're going to propose some changes to your return, and it's up to you to kind of refute those and say, no, I disagree, and here's why. But the burden is going to be on you to show the IRS, yes, what was on my return is correct, and a lot of taxpayers, unfortunately, do not realize that. And that's what I want to talk about there, too, is, you know, what what is a taxpayer, what recourse do they have to, I, I don't want to say argue with the IRS, but to but to refute certain findings and ultimately if there's a decision at the end to perhaps challenge or ask for a, uh, an adjustment of some sort once once an audit's done. Yeah, so at the end of the audit report, the, the examiner is going to work up basically an audit worksheet that shows every change they made and that should detail why. And they give that to you, and you have the right to agree and sign off on that, saying you're right, these changes should be made, and I'm going to agree to pay tax on what I owe now. Or you can refuse to sign it and and submit in writing or have another meeting to say, here's the specific items I disagree with, here's why, and here's my proof of that. So you, you have the right to meet with the examiner again, and you also have the right to meet with the examiner's manager to say, again, here's the specific things I disagree with. If they are not willing to change their mind, if you don't convince them, you still do have the right to appeal the audit, which would take it to the IRS appeals office, another level up, to work with kind of the next level within the IRS to see if, if they agree with you. 
Um, and if you can't agree with them, I mean, you even have the right to go to tax court. So there's several levels of appeal, but e each each level up you go, I mean, the burden to you is getting greater and greater. So mm -hmm. you can say that you disagree as much as you want. It's really about what can you prove. And in terms of how difficult that process is to navigate, um, you know, at what point from receiving the letter to potentially going all the way up to the tax court, does it make sense to, to call on uh, an experienced tax attorney like yourself? Does the process, you know, call for that type of assistance right up front to make sure that things are done to a taxpayer's satisfaction? With the, the very simple ones where, again, they're just saying your W-2 doesn't match up with what was on your return, uh, most cases you might be able to handle that on your own because it's probably just an error on the IRS processing it or it's an error you made in inputting the return. It, it's not, it can't hurt to get an attorney's opinion, especially with us. I mean, we offer free consultations. We can tell you what your options are and, and the favorable and unfavorable parts of those options. With more in-depth audits, especially with self-employed people where they're getting really into that business income and those business expenses, I would get an attorney involved off the bat, one who's experienced in working with the IRS, because the IRS people, they're doing their job. They're trying to, to make sure your, your return is accurate, but sometimes they can get things wrong or they go even beyond their own boundaries, and, and you need somebody in your corner who knows what those boundaries are and who can call them on that to say, hold on, let's take a step back you're taking this too far or you're not applying your own rules correctly and you need to stop and, and play by those rules. Uh, it's yeah. worth taking into account that when one audit is done and there are significant changes, the IRS is more than likely going to say, okay, we're going to expand this audit to the next year. And if there's more changes, they're going to go to the next year. So it's really important that at some point you need to get to the point where you and the IRS are in agreement that you're doing the right thing and they, at that point, hopefully they will back off instead of just repeat auditing you over and over again. So it's good to have an attorney on your side that knows that, and they could work with you to get a reasonable resolution in place with the IRS that kind of puts the audit process to an end rather than it being an ongoing thing. Yeah, certainly um, something I think that most people don't want to have to, you know, go through time and time again. Um, we're going to stop things here. I, I think that's about as informative a uh, quarter hour as one could ever really want to have, and uh, I appreciate Joshua Nesser taking his time to join us today. Um, as you mentioned there, a consultation is always available, and if you'd like to find out more about uh, Josh and Lavelle Law Limited, you can, you can visit lavellelaw.com or give them a call at 847-705-7555. And once again, my thanks to Josh Nesser for being here today. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.